Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Mueller. Welcome to this debut edition of the Football GM Podcast. I'm Mike Sando at Sando NFL, senior writer for the Athletic Hall of Fame voter, 23 years covering the NFL. Joined by Randy Mueller at Randy Mueller underscore two-time NFL GM, 33-year NFL executive, a man so incredibly talented. <laughs> he wants tra- <laughs> we can't keep a straight face, Randy, but it's no, true. Sorry. So incredibly talented, he once traded Rick Meyer to the Chicago Bears for the 11th overall pick in the draft. Is that true, Randy? <laughs> that is true, yes. <laughs> I don't know how the hell you pulled that off, but good job. Good job. And uh, as nice as Randy sounds, you hear him chuckling there. This guy is not the guy you want to be staring across from you from the negotiating table, okay? Um, we have got a lot on our plate today, a lot to discuss, Randy. We're going to talk about Jalen Ramsey's new contract, $21 million a year on the extension, why we are skeptical of mainstream reporting on the Dallas Cowboys, what we think of the contracts Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson signed. They play in the big game Thursday night. What we think about the contract Dak Prescott will sign, that's going to be tied into our Cowboys analysis. We had the Jadavian Clowney signing going to Tennessee away from Seattle. We'll talk about that for both teams. We have an Ask the GM segment. You can find that on Twitter. Like I said, I'm at Sando NFL. Randy's at Randy Mueller underscore. You can ask us questions. We have a few. They're good ones. We're going to hit on those and maybe even getting to a little bit of a gambling angle for for week one and early in the season. I just want to tell people, though, that are listening, and Randy, I will shut up and let you talk at some point here, but on, on our first show, I really want to set this up and just let people know how excited I am to bring a podcast to them that is going to be different than the typical podcast. I think most podcasts you have, um, you know, uh, media members speaking, and I'm one of those, but as I've gotten to know people like Randy and others in the game, just through the sort of unique structure of my job and doing projects like quarterback tiers and others, I've gotten behind the curtain enough to realize that the pocket change, the little dimes and nickels and pennies that fall out of the pockets of guys like Randy are absolute gold to everyone else. And I'm going to shake some of those from Randy's pocket throughout <laughs> our podcast because they're gems. They're the types of comments I use in my execs on filters series on the athletic and quarterback tiers. It's just regular football speak on the inside. And it may be a little jolting to people on the outside because it's not how the football conversation goes on Twitter and in media. So Randy, are you ready? You got money in your pocket, I hope. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate the kind words, that's for sure. I got a smile on my face from, from one, your comments, but two, the fact that we're actually going to have some football games uh, coming up this week, and I'm looking forward to that. And and you're right, we hope to be able to bring people a little bit of an inside view of, of a little different angle from my point of view. I, I often get asked, why don't you just write a book, Randy? And I said, well, I can't put the good stories in the book, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but it, I'd be a good guy to sit down around the campfire and have a beer with, you know? The, the stories would be good then. If the Athletic will pay for our beer, I will crack <laughs> open a cold one here. Uh, we can cue up the sound for that. But but we're going to have those types of conversations. We want you, who's listening to this, to be sitting at the bar with us. And we're Randy and I are at the Combine, uh, you know, and it's the end of a long day, and we're each having a, a cold brew of our choice, and we're talking about what's going on in the league. And you're the guy at the next st- spot there, and you're not, you, you know, you're not necessarily – 
uh, interrupting and, and talking during it, but you're, you're soaking everything up. And then through the Ask the GM segment, you, you, you want to ask a question, you know, we'll answer. We have a couple good ones. So let's tee this thing up with Jalen Ramsey. I mean, just while we're, we were preparing for this, Jalen Ramsey signs a five-year, $105 million extension with the Rams. That is by far the highest APY average per year. Uh, in the league, just dwarfing the Tredavious White extension, which was valued at 17 and a half. What do you think, Randy? Well, I, I think it's um, been a long time coming. I think some guys would have preferred when you trade for a guy like Jalen Ramsey, like the Rams did a year ago, to maybe go ahead and extend him then. When I think of the Jalen Ramsey deal, though, I think of two things. One, Jalen Ramsey was really the first rat to jump ship in Jacksonville, right? Yep. <laughs> We've seen a ton of exodus from there the last year. And he was really the first one that said no moss and he wanted out of there. So the Rams were able to give up two first round picks to get him. And at the time, uh, took a little criticism for not signing him to a long-term deal then. He was uh, winding up his original uh, rookie deal. And now we see the fact that that's happened. I think the Rams were negotiating from a position of weakness because they didn't do it initially. They they knew they gave up two first-round picks to get him. They had to secure the player. So when you give up that kind of uh, loot to, to acquire a player of Jalen Ramsey's status, um, you definitely have to sign him long-term. So Ramsey had a little leverage in that regard. He knew they had to sign him, and that's probably why they paid a premium to get him. I do think that... Uh, for the most part, the Rams securing him probably sew up their cap for this year and maybe even for next year. But uh, it's a player that is a premium position. He plays corner. Um, you can do a lot of things if you've got a shutdown corner out there. I think Ramsey is viewed as that by most insiders in the NFL. And he's played up to those uh, expectations for the most part his first few years in the league. Yep, and I would differentiate this deal, too, from the Jamal Adams one. And that Jamal Adams, who was acquired for a couple first-round picks by Seattle, actually had uh, more time left on his contract. So uh, while some people were criticizing Seattle, how could you give that up and not have a deal done? Randy, you at the time were like, oh, wait a minute. He's got a couple of years left. They can tag him. It's a different situation where they can play it out a little bit longer. They're still going to pay a top, you know, top market deal uh, for Ramsey. The other thing I want to ask you, too, is just – you know, as this game evolves um, and we're seeing, you know, obviously a lot more 11 personnel, three wide receivers on the field, a lot of sub packages. We're seeing real skilled coordinators who, heck, I think it's harder to play pass defense than ever, right? I mean, you're shooting fish in a barrel a little bit. Everybody can pass for 3,000, 4,000 yards, right? I mean, bad quarterbacks can have 4,000 yards passing. We mentioned that Rick Meyer trade, and Randy, <laughs> that actually helped you get the pick that dra to draft Sean Springs, third overall, a good corner, went to a Pro Bowl. Has the value of a top corner changed to you? Are you any you know less eager to throw the type of money, top of market money at that position because it's hard to play past defense? Yeah, it's definitely hard to play past evens, especially the way the rules have evolved. The rules have evolved where you have to keep your hands off receivers, you've got to give them free releases, and you've got to find guys that – with, in Jalen Ramsey's case, guys with length that can change throwing angles of the quarterback and the way balls come into receivers now. These longer guys, like you see uh, uh, Pete Carroll has adapted in Seattle, some of these longer versions of the cover corners change a lot of different things when it comes to, to covering people. And Jalen Ramsey gives you options. He can play inside. He can play outside. And again, I think from the safety standpoint, you're finding the safeties that get paid are the guys who can cover, not necessarily just the box safeties. You can't hide defenders now in this passing world. If they can't cover the pass, 
they're going to get exposed. And uh, we talked about it in one of our earlier podcasts with uh, Buda Baker. The thing that I loved about Buda Baker signing is the fact that he has versatility both to play in the box and in the back end in coverage. So the versatile players really on both sides of the wall, but ball, but versatile players in the secondary are the ones that you see getting paid. No doubt about it. Yep. Yep. One of the things I wanted to hit on there, Randy, was, uh, you know, just the, the nature and difficulty of playing coverage uh, in the NFL. I think so much of it is is affected by how the officials are calling the game. Right. And, uh, you know, we've seen some analytic studies recently that talk about, you know, hey, coverage is almost more important than the pass rush. But I think coverage is also a lot less consistent. It's hard to find a guy who's going to play great coverage this year and next year. Because right. the way the rules change, because the different officials call it differently, all those things are volatile, right? Yep. Does Jalen Ramsey transcend that? Is he such a talent that he's going to play great coverage every year, no matter what? Yeah, I think I think you hit on something there, Mike. I do think the fact that he's so versatile, he can play zone coverage, he can play man coverage, he can play inside technique, and again, his length sets him apart as well. He he can he can uh, hang with the bigger receivers and yeah. battle them physically downfield. And the good thing about Jalen Ramsey is as well is he plays the ball. That's an instinct that a lot of guys don't have, but in his case, he can play the ball at the point of attack. So um, I think you're right. I think it is harder to play coverage nowadays than ever before because of the rules, because of the inconsistencies of the officials. But I do think you get a guy like him, Jalen Ramsey, uh, as I'm speaking of, you need to sign him long-term, and the Rams have done that, and been able to secure one of their better players, probably one of their top two or three players. And I think it was a no-brainer. They paid a little more at the end of the day for doing it uh, when they did it, but that's also the cost of doing business. Okay, great stuff there on Ramsey. Um, ton of cap and cash tied up in a, in a few players on the Rams. We'll see how that plays out. Their options are going to be limited, I think, long-term. We've already seen that this year. A lot of that's going to come down to whether Jared Goff is really worth it as a quarterback. That'll bail everybody out um, in the end. I want to move on to the Cowboys, Randy. And, and you know, part of uh, part of our, my show prep is really just listening to other podcasts and reading the media. And some of my best reactions, I'll jump off the treadmill, you know, and, and write it down. I'm like, I can't believe people are saying that. And one of them is is just the excitement around the Cowboys has just been getting under my skin for some reason. I watch; <laughs> they'll probably go 15 and one, but but. I just feel like this is a weird organization in terms of how they're set up. It's really hard to coach there because the owner's the GM. He's got an opinion on everything. He voices his opinion every Sunday night. The reporters are eating it up. It's really hard to tell Tony Romo to protect the football when Tony Romo is in the owner's suite with Jason Witten rocking out to the latest concert that comes to town. I mean, I think people don't really understand that, but it's a reality. So in comes Mike McCarthy. Super Bowl winning coach, did great work with Aaron Rodgers, was sort of seen as a little stale by the end there. But people are acting like um, this is just an amazing setup. They've kept the young coordinator on offense, Kellen Moore. Wow. You know, and they're ready to go. And I'm just like, hold up, hold up. Let's get into this a little bit. I think you've hit on some good things there, Mike. I think it is a different dynamic. The, the, the situation in Dallas isn't what you see as the norm around the league. I think a lot of the information that comes out of Dallas, sometimes we have to take with a grain of salt because let's face it, the Cowboys are the best at spinning media, at setting their own agendas, at setting their own talking points. They work, <laughs> they work the room as good as anybody 
and I'm not saying this in a derogatory manner, they work the room because it's part of the business, but they can also create the excitement. It is America's team. I think with Mike's coming from Green Bay, um, a couple things struck me. I thought it was very interesting hire because Mike is a very loyal soldier. He's had some coaches that have been with him for a long time. Um, I, actually, I know Mike going back uh, many years because when I was the GM of the Saints, he was our offensive coordinator. I chuckle every time I think of Mike as a play caller because in the Superdome, we had a plexiglass uh, partition between my booth and where Mike was. So Mike was like 10 feet from me every game, right? And I, I forgot about this, but when we when you said we were going to talk about Mike, I remember standing up and I never react to anything game day wise. I'm, I'm completely in the dark and Over in the face. back of the room. Yeah. I, I, I remember standing up one time and beating on the plexiglass wall <laughs> with three minutes left to go when we're trying to run out the clock with the lead to win the game and Mike was throwing a slant to somebody who uh, for some reason we needed to get the first down when all we needed to do was hand off. I remember standing up and beating on that run the blanking ball, you know, <laughs> and Mike and I laugh about that every now and then it's crazy, yeah. but yeah. yeah. It, but he's but, a, he's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, he's just a loyal guy. When, when, when he got hired in green Bay, I was covering Seattle. Matt Hasselbeck pulled me aside and he goes, I'm just telling you, this is real people. This is a good man. This yeah. is a good coach. So we start from that, but He's in Dallas. Yeah, he's in Dallas. And and I know he sat out a year uh, after he got let go in Green Bay. And he had some people that he met with throughout the year, uh, coaches that were close to him that I knew and were very, very close to. And these were all, his plan was always to bring all, bring these people with him the next stop he made. Well, he gets the Dallas job. The next thing I know, none of these guys who he had been with forever were ended up uh, getting hired in, in Dallas. So that kind of told me, I wonder if he sold his soul to the devil as well. Because obviously all the guys that Jerry wanted, and, and Jerry owns the team, he can do whatever he wants, but he had a lot to do with this, putting the staff together. So that dynamic changed things for me a little bit as well. I just found out that it, it, it is, it's not necessarily uh, the rules throughout the rest of the league that they abide by in Dallas, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And so as, you know, last season, let's give them some credit. I mean, they were, I think they were second in the league in, you know, points per game on offense. Uh, you know, top, I think they were sixth in, you know, EPA, the more advanced expected points added. I mean, they, they were they were good. They, they, their stats were good. They still were not a good team in the end. And I have just sort of, you know, thought it was incredible that they're going to bring in Mike McCarthy, who's called plays for 20 years in the league, and yeah. you'd think that's why they're doing it. And then they've got this, uh, nothing against Kellen Moore, but he's got one season of being a caller, you know, and people are like, oh, I sure hope they don't mess up this amazing thing they've got going with Kellen Moore. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, if I'm ranking the great coordinators of all time, you know, Don Coryell, Ernie Zampezi, you know, pick your Mike, Holmgren, Shanahan, Martz, you know, throw in Norv Turner. I mean, those are the guys that you tiptoe around, you know, yeah. if you're a head coach. Could you imagine Andy Reid coming to the Chiefs in 2013 and being like, hey, you know, we're going to retain Brian Dayball from the previous staff. I think, you know, Brian's got some nice ideas. He's going to call it this year, you know, and, and I don't want to mess it up. Now, that's ridiculous because Dayball didn't have a, a good offense. But but it's the same sort of thing. I mean, yep. Andy Reid is to Dayball what Mike McCarthy is to, to Kellen Moore. Is this going to work? Is Mike going to rip that play sheet out of his hand in week three? Is Jerry going to tell him who's calling the plays? I mean, it just 
feels weird to me. Yeah, it definitely feels weird. You know, Mike, like you said, is is renowned play caller and has uh, kind of ran his own ship for a long time. I just don't know from what playbook they're going to call plays. You know, we hired Mike McCarthy to come here, but now he's not going to call plays. He's not going to really even have his offense, it doesn't sound like, because if it was going to be Mike's offense, wouldn't you want him calling the plays? So there's yeah, really, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think, some gray area here. And again, like you said, nothing against Kellen Moore. But Kellen Moore will be calling his, what, 17th game in his, you know, career. And is it his offense that they're going to be running? So my question is, what playbook will Kellen call the plays from? I just don't understand that part of it. Yep. And and as we look at an organization that has been known for a little bit of, you know, palace intrigue and and, and all that, just from a pure football standpoint, they've had some injuries. Gerald McCoy's hurt. Lel Collins, their right tackle's hurt. Sean Lee's hurt again. They're not going to have Randy Gregory till at least late October. They're banking a little bit on Alden Smith. I think Everson Griffin helps them there. Uh, Mike Nolan's back in a decoordinator role. He's been a really good decoordinator before, but it's been a number of years, you know, yeah. uh, since he has. So some weird stuff there. Another weird thing with them to me that's going to segue into our next topic is just you know, I don't think Jerry Jones is used to losing many poker games, losing many business deals. But, you know, we see the other day that, you know, the Cowboy players are going to kneel if they want to, which is totally different than what Jerry Jones would say. And then he's being dictated to by Dak Prescott about the contract. I mean, he he's thinking like, hey, you know, this is this is this is the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, everyone's going to want to play for me. And Dak's looking at him like, yeah, you know, I'll just watch these other guys do deals. And then I'll just tell you what that's going to cost. You know, maybe it's going to be 40 million a year next year. Incredible to me to see that happen to that organization when you're used to Jerry Jones holding all the cards. Yeah, you're right about that. If, if someone was going to write a business 101 book, it'd be Jerry Jones. And in this case, he is going to have, I think, in the end, a, a deal dictated to him. So I'm not sure how good that is for business. They've chosen to take a specific route with Dak Prescott over the last couple of years that we've all read way too much about and heard way too much about. And uh, I think Dak holds some cards now more than ever because of these deals, like you mentioned, that have gotten done uh, the last couple of months in the league. Oh, it'll yeah. And with the cap going down next year and him being able to get $40 million a year, good, you know, good luck with that. It's a, it's a position no GM wants to be in, especially if you don't think he's, you know, in the top echelon. Is he winning the game every week? You know, and I think there's some, you know, I think he's better than just a middle tier guy, but... That's going to segue into our next uh, topic here. The big Thursday night game uh, between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans features Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. I think I would like to be their agents, 3% of what they're getting. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we could we could be living on Jerry Jones' yacht if we wanted to. But let's get into these contracts a little bit. You know, we'll start with Patrick Mahomes. 10 years, $450 million. <laughs> Um, the thing I thought of first on that was, you know, we, we look at these deals, the money, and we evaluate them, we stack them against each other, but there's other people involved in them. And I just had to laugh. My first year on the beat covering the Seahawks, Randy, in 1998, you were basically the de facto GM. You were head of football uh, operations and Lee Steinberg was representing Warren Moon at that time. Okay. And Warren Moon was holding out from Seahawks camp because I'm sure you were being a complete jerk <laughs> in negotiations. That's what Lee was telling me. But yeah. as, as media, we all sat in this trailer and I remember, you know, the beat writers were in there and this is old school. This is before cell phones, really. Everybody had one. They, they existed, but you didn't have one. And we were, we would check in with Lee Steinberg every day, who Lee Steinberg, by the way, is Pat Mahomes' agent. This is where the story's going. But um, so it'd be me, Claire Farnsworth from the Seattle PI, you know, Les Carpenter, who's now at the Washington Post, was at the Seattle Times. 
And we would all call Lee. And then like clockwork, you'd hear the phones ring in the media room. He'd be calling Claire. He'd be calling Les. Then he'd be calling me and saying the whole thing. But the agents are involved in this. And Lee Steinberg is the classic front man for an agency. He just wants to be able to say I had the richest deal ever, right, in, <laughs> in pro football. So he gets 10 years, $450 million. Devil's in the details on these things. Uh, but that's what came to mind for me. This is a deal that looks great. It is great for everybody. But... Um, it's pretty dang good for the team to get that type of length and flexibility, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. I think it's a team-friendly contract. And, and uh, I, I've made many deals with Lee over the years. Some have been fun. Some have not been fun. Uh, <laughs> but the one thing that's consistent is he represents good players. So that yeah. is a feather in his cap. He gets good players to commit to him, and he gets those guys paid. So he's been around a long time, has earned his keep throughout ups and downs, and I do have a lot of respect for Lee, that's for sure. In this case, I do think the $450 million target number that Mahomes got was part of the criteria of what we wanted at the end of the day. They wanted to have the biggest pot of gold that any professional player had ever had, and they got that. Um, I do think it's good for the Chiefs because it does give them the cap flexibility. I think it's great that these two guys are going to play each other on Thursday night to open the season in, in, in a way because they are similar in so many ways as players. Both of them play great outside the pocket. They're both exciting to watch and both have signed new deals, but the deals they've signed, oh, how different they are. The giant number that 450 million that Mahomes signed um, now is going to be compared to Deshaun Watson's deal in, in Houston, which is only a four-year deal. So cap numbers are different. Um, flexibility for the team is different. And uh, I think this is going to be fun to follow these two, to watch it play out, to see who in the end ends up uh, making the most money in the long term, because they're both going to be around for a long time. They're both really good players. Yeah. What I love just for Mahomes in Kansas City is, you know, everybody wants to be there, you know, and the money's going to take care of itself. You know, he wants to be there. They want him there. There's a great culture there. And the 10 years to me is almost symbolic of that, right? That, hey, this yep. is a marriage. You know, this yep. isn't me trying to leverage it and I'm going to come back and hold out in two years. And this isn't the team. You know what I mean? These yep. guys are in it for the right reasons. And Mahomes is just, I mean, I, when I went to a Chiefs game uh, last year, or maybe the year before, I just wanted to watch him, but I wanted to watch him in the press conference. I just want to see the guy. You know, I want to yeah. see how he handles it. That's who we want as our guy. Of course, <laughs> on the field, everybody can see it, but you just see the way he does it. So I think 10 years is really fitting uh, for him. It's a little bit different. Uh, and by the way, on that this game, we, we will hit a little bit of a betting angle on this at the end of the podcast, so stick with us there. Um, but um, Watson is interesting to me because no one would say Houston is where everybody wants to be, right? I mean, it's a little bit of a different... Um, situation. And this is one of those, Randy, where we're going to shake some coins out of your pocket because we had a great conversation last night, exactly the type of conversation and language and and sentence structure and all of that that I want to have on this podcast. That's not just a media guy talking. It's how general managers talk. So just to set it up, um, last night we were talking about this deal and you know, how much money Deshaun Watson's going to get and how it's probably a little hasty by the team to do it early. And you looked at me, I assume we were on the phone, but you looked at me and um, what did you say? <laughs> well, I think everybody sees something at first hand a little different. And in this case, I just go back to the last six months or even eight months of Bill O'Brien being in charge. Bill O'Brien's taking a beating in Houston. 
I mean, let's face it, he got the GM fired. I think everybody is in agreement there. Um, he took over the job himself. He's been yep. criticized for giving up uh, way too much for Laramie Tunsil, the tackle from Miami. Then he kind of named him as the best player ever and way overpaid him on top of that. So, <laughs> got rid of Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, got rid of Hopkins for a, for a cup of coffee, you know, maybe a latte down the road. So, Donut on the side, you know. Yeah, so he's been getting killed for all these things. And the first thing... It, it, first thing I'll say about the signing of Deshaun Watson is it doesn't surprise me. I felt it was coming, and I think most did, because he's the one piece that Bill O'Brien can't mess with. He cannot mess with with uh, Deshaun Watson. He is his ticket to his future as GM, his future as coach. So you knew he was going to make a deal with him, and I knew he would be for a lot of money. So he, in my sense, uh, bought a friend, right? He bought it. That's bought what himself. he said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he bought a friend. He bought some some support in the media. Deshaun Watson is beloved. Everybody loves him. They're going to listen to him. And now Deshaun Watson can carry the flag for Bill O'Brien. Absolutely. We're talking and I'm like, yeah, you know, four years, 160 this and that. And Randy just cuts right to the chase. He goes, you know, Bill O'Brien bought a friend. And when you think <laughs> about that, absolutely. He can't screw it up with Watson. Watson oh. now, did you see that amazing news conference where yeah. uh, I think it was Amy Palsik, their PR person put together yeah. uh, a Zoom with all of his family together? I mean, heck, you almost missed it up as a 33-year veteran in the league. You you know, you were, your heartstrings were pulled. And I thought- yep. Absolutely. I mean, Deshaun Watson is all in, right? The Hopkins trade, hey, bygones be bygones, right? Uh, (laughs) Me and Bill, those things can change, you know, over time, depending on what happens. But Bill O'Brien bought a friend. That's a good friend to have. By yeah, the way, no, Sean Watson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not a good idea, but at the same time, I can't help but think that the criticism he has received since taking over the head coach and the GM yeah. job has now got a little, he's got a little more rope that he signed to their best player for at least the next four years. The, the key is what he does with these cap numbers now that, oh. that, that Deshaun Watson is going to have. The first two years, not so bad, but then you're in the 40s and you talk, start talking about 40 plus million for one guy in a cap of 200 million. I'm no math major, but that doesn't leave you much for everybody else. Yeah, it doesn't. Now, one thing I would say, though, is how these how these deals are valued is interesting to me because the agents always have a, the agents are, are have the worst job that there is because it's a, a cutthroat job where you're trying to recruit and you have to suck up to the to young players and try to get them to stick with you. But the team looks at these extensions a little different than the, the agent. When it gets reported and you see the national reporters all tweet the news within eight seconds of each other, <laughs> it's because the agent is putting it out and the, and it's, it's sold as a four-year, $160 million deal. But he's there for six years. So behind the scenes, the owner is saying, hey, four years, $160 million, that sounds bad for us, right? And then then the cap guy goes to the owner, yeah, but we got him for six years. So really, you, you take the first two years, let's average this all out. It's a six-year deal that doesn't average 40. So the player gets to have it both ways. The player gets to have the great deal. On, on, the, ba- on the other side, the team knows you know, what the real valuation is because there's time left on it. And everybody goes on and hopefully they, you know, he's a great player and, and all that stuff gets put to the side and he just goes to Pro Bowls and makes it play, amazing plays, you know, with people with people kicking him through his face mask and still completing passes. So. <laughs> well, I think you're right. I think you've got to qualify the agenda of the people speaking, that's for sure. And, and in most cases, you're correct. And that's what the agents are supposed to do. They're out trumpeting their deals and serving their own agenda. The team guys on the inside, once you make a deal, I turn off the TV, I turn off the radio and go about the next deal. So it really doesn't benefit 
you to beat uh, the deal down that you just made no. because the, your player is on your team. So you want him to look good and you're going to yep. do everything you can, but you've got to swallow a little pride here and, and, and let the agent and that player uh, really get the spotlight because that's what it's all about. Yeah. And in this case, by the way, great cash flow for Deshaun Watson. I mean, not from a team standpoint. I think other teams are going to be going, yikes, but it was a great <laughs> deal for him. And that's what happens when your yep. head coach is your GM and he just wants the deal done. That's you get right. it done and you, you, it's a blank check and yep. you just sign my name. And yep. that's exactly what happened in Houston. He had the leverage, no doubt. Yeah. Let's talk about a guy who got out of Houston or was, you know, traded out of that's Houston right. in, yeah. uh, in, in Jadavian Clowney. I mean, big news this week. Jadavian Clowney signs with Tennessee. You know, I live in Seattle area. You're now uh, in Seattle area. Um, heck, the fans here are great, but they're they're totally you know live and die with every one of these. And the, and that pass rush in Seattle, you know, has been an issue. So they're crestfallen that Clowney goes to uh, goes to Tennessee. What does the film say on Clowney? You know, he's just sort of an interesting guy. Yeah, I, I definitely um, think it is a great get for Tennessee. I had, and I'll be honest, I was kind of lukewarm on Clowney all offseason. I really wasn't sure what to make of it. But the other day, I finally had to sit down and put some film on to see exactly what we're talking about. And, and Clowney, um, you cannot measure what he does via numbers on paper. The, the guy is very versatile. Mike Vrabel obviously knows him because he was with him at the Texans. He's going to play on both ends of the line. He's going to play from a two-point stance, a three-point stance. Yeah, he only had three sacks last year, but this guy created so much havoc when he played. And I think that's the key with Clowney is when he plays. I wouldn't say that week eight against Cincinnati that you probably got the same effort you get on a Monday night against the 49ers or a playoff game in Philadelphia, but you're getting on those games a big-time player. Um I don't think he's ever had double-digit sacks. I think he's only played 16 games one time. He, I think he played 57% of the snaps last year in Seattle. But the, the, if you can get him to play on the right 57%, yeah. you're going to get a great tool. And I think that's what Vrabel sees, a tool that he can use. Clowney is a really good run defender. And the way he uses his hands is hard to teach. He's very instinctive. He can set the edge. You know, I compared him in, in our last podcast or, or a couple of them ago. We talked about Yannick in, in Dockway, the yeah. defensive end that went from Jacksonville to Minnesota. So I compared the two guys. And and to me, I would rather have Clowney, um, even though he's All a couple day. years yeah. older, uh, because he's a 265-pound man. This guy can play the run. I didn't think in Dockway played the run well enough. Um, yeah, he got a few sacks here and there, but they're mainly effort sacks and there's nothing wrong with effort, but Clowney just did so many more things for me. And I always go back to, it's a big man's game. This is a big man's football game that we see on Sundays. Clowney's a big man. There's a reason he was the first pick in the draft. He's long. He's very athletic. When he wants to play, he is hard to block. And in particular, the Philly game last year at the end of the season, when uh, Peters, the left tackle, who has been talked about recently for not wanting to go out the left tackle unless he got paid more money, I credit Clowney for that because <laughs> Clowney worked this guy over. And Jason Peters is a really good player, but he couldn't block Clowney. He might have pushed Peters into retirement. But yeah. now he's not only come out of retirement to play guard, now he's back at left tackle reluctantly. He better hope they don't play Tennessee, okay? Because Clowney will be ready to go. Yeah, yeah, he he pushed he pushed Peters right into guard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He pushed him to the couch first, and then he came off the couch to come back to guard, and now he's back out yeah. at tackle. So if yeah. those guys played, Peters might come down with the clowny flu. 
He, yeah, I don't know if you'll you'll be itching to line up against Clowney again. So I like Clowney. In a nutshell, I think he's a great kid for them. And people in Seattle, like you said, they're going to have a hard time replacing yeah. him. There's a reason the Saints were hanging around, uh, putting the full court press on him at the end. Some other teams hanging around. Even the Ravens were involved in a little sign and trade scheme that came up. So there was some some other teams that even after a full off season of COVID-19 and, and his market not being what some thought it would be, he still got paid 12 million with a chance to yep. earn 15. And, and that usually takes more than one team to drive the market to that level. Yep. Yep. And, and I love him on a one-year deal. You know, I don't yes. want to get married with the 10 year yes. Mahomes deal on him because then, you know, then he's in control of everything. And, and, and what happened in Houston, there was reasons they didn't want to move on from him, right? He's got a degenerative yep. knee. You know, does he practice all the time? You know, yep. all of that. But, but I think he wins a game for you. And that you mentioned the Monday night game against San Francisco. Seattle doesn't win that game without him. He absolutely blew up the game. Yep. Um, he's a guy who can score touchdowns, scoop and score. Um, and I think that for, for teams like Seattle and teams like Tennessee that are in these tight division races, right? In tennis, in the AFC South, you could have three teams in the playoff picture, right? Yep. I mean, you got, you suddenly got Rivers in there. Yep. You got Deshaun Watson. I mean, one game, would you pay $12 million to, to add one win to your total in Tennessee if you were John Robinson, the GM? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Because you're paying right 12 now. million bucks to guys now who aren't going to, you're hoping don't lose you a game. Yep. And no Clowney's never going to lose you a game. He's going to win you one. He might win you two. Um, I love the signing for Tennessee also, and so um, good for them, tough for Seattle. Seattle, though, can fall back, fall back on having Russell Wilson. They're going to win the game anyway, probably. <laughs> uh, Tennessee doesn't have that. I mean, yep. you know, Tannehill's fine, but he's not Russell Wilson. It's time for Ask the GM. We're going to get into our final segment, Ask the GM. And so last night I put out on Twitter to my followers, and Randy did too, you know, hey, you got any questions for the GM? And we, we have a couple good ones. I, I'm going to combine two together here. Um, and, and, the, and here's how they go. Randy, how has this season with limited training camp, less access to undrafted free agents, shifted team building? That's the first part of the question. Second part, I'd love to hear a detailed explanation on how GMs would evaluate talent this season compared to past. No preseason games, minimal practices. You know, what is focused on? Yeah, you're right. I think really good questions. I think from a team building standpoint, Mike, things have totally changed. Um, the rosters have changed. The flexibility you have in your roster kind of changes the way you put it together. You know, we have a 16-person uh, practice squad now, and you can have veterans on that practice squad. So I think the development of young potential talent has taken a back seat this year. That wouldn't be the case. A lot of times you have GMs or front office would get into a little bit of a tit for tat with the coaching staff when you come up with how we're going to populate our practice squad or even sometimes how we're going to populate the last few spots on our roster. You know, for the most part, the, the GM or the front office is looking further down the road. They want a younger, more potential guy around that we can develop. And for the, rightly so, the coach wants a guy he can put in there right now and not have to coach him up or, and can trust him. Coach is getting his ass fired at the yes, end of the year. That's so exactly he right. That, he wants that veteran who's not as good who's 31, but he's yep. going to know where to line up. Yep. And if I was the GM this year, I would totally acquiesce to that theme. That theme. I think the coach is going to have to have some movable parts, some parts that come off and on a practice squad. The new rules allow you to bring a guy up from the practice squad a couple times and send him down without having to expose him to waivers. So that has changed your team building particularly. In individual cases, I think when you evaluate now um, with no preseason games, you saw a little bit of that in the numbers on the last cut. I think we saw 17 players were claimed off waivers. That's about half of what normally get claimed. 
And it's really yeah. because there's no preseason film to look at. The pro scouts from around the league and, and with different teams haven't had uh, hours and hours of film to watch in preseason. They're really going, teams are on college grades. That's what they have to do. They have to go back and look at their college reports and rely on that because there's no new film. There's nothing nothing left to, to look at except college film. You're going to see that playing a role in future draft in 2021 as well because of the fact that some guys are opting out, some leagues are not playing in college. I heard Kevin Colbert, the GM of the Pittsburgh team, say the other day, he said, if we have two players even and one played this fall and one didn't, he said, I'm probably going to pick the guy who played this fall because he's got the the, uh, latest up-to-date film on that guy and the other guy won't have played in over a year. So that's going to make for some tough decision-making down the road. But it's definitely changed the format for how we do things. Um, the good news is everybody's under the same microscope. Everybody has the same rules to, to work with. But it's definitely changed how traditional teams are built and teams are evaluated. So what positions, Randy, are harder to evaluate in the absence of some of the tackling that you might have seen in, in uh, camps and especially preseason? Well, I think a couple come to mind first off, and obviously the defensive guys because the no tackling. Um, I think defensive backs especially, you don't know and see if they uh, are as physical as they can be against the run. Tackling of linebackers, uh, you know, we, we're picking teams now in some cases where they may have seen a guy tackle three or four times all at training camp. So that's yeah. definitely hard. You're, you're taking a leap of faith on toughness and tackling that normally you would have reels and reels of film to look at to evaluate. And on offense, I think running backs pay a hard price in this day and age because they don't get contact. You can't really see a guy set up a block to force an arm tackle and then have the strength to break an arm tackle. You don't see that in practices because nobody's tackling to the ground. So I think running backs suffer a little bit in your evaluations and a lot of the defensive guys, especially linebackers and and maybe safeties because the physicality of that isn't there. Yep. Which leads us into our final thing, that a little bit of a bonus here. I'd mentioned earlier that we, you know, have a little bit of gambling advice off of this and 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 really I think I can sum it up in three words, take the over, you know, probably <laughs> on some of these lines because because uh, the tackling is not going to be there. I mean, I, I would be surprised if, you know, we don't see, especially some of these teams with good quarterbacks, really put some points on the board. How, what do you think defenses are going to have to do to even try to compete? And how is that going to you know, fit into how the games are played? Yeah, I think it's going to be a struggle for defenses early on. I agree. Defenses and special teams, I think, will where, where you'll see uh, the different uh, practice habits and how it's kind of played out. Um, I think defenses are going to be relegated to answering these spread offenses and all the things that they bring with blitzes, which again, to me, is just going to open it up for more big plays, for more scoring. I think teams are going to come after quarterbacks. I think they're going to find ways to, especially younger quarterbacks, they're going to get blitzed more early in the season than they ever have because I don't think defensive coordinators believe they've seen it all, that these quarterbacks have seen it all and can make the adjustments. So that's usually their last line of defense is a blitzing scheme that's a little more aggressive. I think um, we're going to see some of that. And and I would agree. I think you're going to see the over in play and and probably, and again, I don't know how Vegas comes up with this stuff, but probably some of the numbers are going to be reflective of that when when you're talking about overs and unders for games these first couple of weeks. I think the numbers are going to be high. Yep. And we'll see if those are built in. But we had mentioned, you know, maybe some teams like Arizona, plays that yep. type of offense, Kansas City, you know, some some of these teams could really do well so uh, offensively. So thank you, everybody, for coming along on this first episode. Uh, Randy, 
How do you think it go? How do you think it went? I think it went good. It's something to build on, Mike, and I'm looking forward to it. I can't quit smiling from the fact that we're going to get to watch football this week, and and they're actually going to be tackling, and it's going to be pads popping and and real live action. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I am with you. You know, I think the rhythm of of football, football, unlike the other sports, is actually happening when it's supposed to happen. You know, I think it's. I was telling my son last night, game Sunday, and he he was so excited. It's gonna, you know, his school's being canceled for this and that. We don't have baseball. We don't have. This is when we're supposed to have football. It feels good. So hopefully it goes well. Thanks for coming along. It's been great. Enjoy the games. Again, I'm Mike Sando, at Sando NFL, Randy Mueller, at Randy Mueller underscore. We will see you next time.